You're listening to The Homeschool Dropout. I'm your host, Mike Roberts. Let's talk about bridging the gap between homeschool and the professional world. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The Homeschool Dropout. Today, I have Janet Ross with us. We have been chatting for the last probably about 10 minutes or maybe more. Really enjoy talking to you, Janet. I'm really glad that you carved out some time to join us on the show. Thank you for having me. I've been excited. Let me intro you a little bit so listeners know more of your academic background, and I'm going to let you take off with more of your homeschooling. So Janet has a bachelor's in social work, and then shortly thereafter, she got her master's in social work and is currently working as a licensed clinical social worker. We were just barely bantering about therapy and its role with homeschoolers. I think we'll get into it a little bit in the show, in this episode. And then you have three kids and you're based out of Montana. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. My kids are 13, eight, and six right now. Okay. So I think a lot of listeners can probably relate to those ages. It's great that you came from homeschooling and now you are homeschooling your own kids. And so I just think that like that full circle perspective, second generation homeschoolers are near and dear to me. Obviously, I love all homeschoolers, but <laughs> as someone who like looks forward to being a second generation homeschooler, I think it's a just like a special closing the loop. I just didn't even realize until recently that I was like part of this special club <laughs> called well, second generation <laughs> homeschoolers. I feel so seen. Well, there just aren't a lot of us. And no. I think there's not a lot. I have spoken with second generation homeschoolers or people who are homeschooled that aren't as willing to talk about their experience. And so, oh man, yeah, which I think I'll get some because I think their voices need to be heard too. But sure. those of us who were homeschooled when it was incredibly weird and now we're adults. It's like, is it okay to come out now? <laughs> right, yeah. It's becoming more okay, which is kind of exciting. I know. Yeah. I know it is. I yeah. Like it. it almost feels cool now, which is so weird. That definitely wasn't the case growing up. It was not the case growing up. It is exciting to realize that the world does change. Things yeah. do change, but we also change as people too. So there's just true. so much transient nature in the world. Yeah. I think we have some ownership and like just being okay with who we are there too and not expecting everyone around us to applaud it but to be like I'm getting more comfortable with it as I get older with like this is part of my story and I'm no longer like embarrassed of it I'm like kind of proud of it let's dive into the episode here share your homeschooling path I think there's some elements about you wanting to go to public school that we can highlight take it off from there yeah. So the other thing that's really unique about my family, where this where it all begins, is that we're a military family, or we were. And my dad served about 38 years in the U.S. Air Force, active duty. And I was born into that family. He had already been serving for quite some time. I have two older sisters. So there's three girls in my family. My mother was a school teacher and just did the traditional thing of sending us all to public school to begin with. And we moved every couple years. I never lived anywhere longer than three years, but we moved typically every two to three years, sometimes more, but those moves would be like across town or from off the military installation onto the military installation. So things were always changing in my life. And because most of my community was of the military community, they were coming and going too. So we found ourselves in San Antonio, Texas when I was I think I was 
second grade when we moved there. And I had a pretty rough second grade year in public school. My mom was teaching in the same school that my sister, my middle sister and I were in. And we can talk more about that maybe later, but she was just seeing some firsthand, like what it was like for us. And then also had our oldest sister who was already, I think she might've been like junior high and going into high school around that time. So she was very well informed at the time where she decided to do something different. And so when I was going into fourth grade and my middle sister, she was going into sixth grade, she took us out, took herself out of public school and started homeschooling us. And my mom didn't know. I don't think she really knew anybody that was doing that. I vaguely remember her like tracking down a homeschool family that was in the, on the military base and going like going to their home. She must have taken me with her because I just remember her going there and just like <laughs> asking them every question she could think of. Like she she just sought out the few resources that she had in the 90s to figure out how she was going to do this thing. And luckily, I think she felt pretty confident having her own education and background in teaching. And so I guess I'll say it was funny though, to begin with, because it was still, she still had that compulsory mindset of like, we had this beautiful sunroom that she turned into a classroom and it was very like her desk, my desk, my <laughs> sister's desk, a flag, a globe, everything that you oh, would find. And like it was a, a classroom. classroom. Yeah. Oh, it's kind of cute. It is so cute, but like yeah. what's sunny or sad and funny, sunny, <laughs> sunny. There you go. Um, it was a sunroom <laughs> was that we were not about that. Like we're at home. So mm. we're not going to sit at a desk. We would go to the couch. Sure. We would go right. wherever it was more comfortable, the floor, wherever. And so she found out after that we were never going to create a school room again. I know some families do, but it just for our family after that, she was like, yeah, no, they're not going to sit at their desk. <laughs> and so basically I was homeschooled all the way through high school graduation. And so was my middle sister, the oldest. There's still some mystery around it for me. I don't know that she was ever asked <laughs> if she wanted to be homeschooled. I think there might've been some assumptions that she's already in high school. When we started, she must've been 10th grade, I think. And so she's already like almost halfway through high school. So she finished her whole education through the public school system. So we had very different experiences there. I think that's kind of the overarc in a nutshell. I think it is really interesting. It's similar to my family in that, I mean, I'm one of 10. And so my baby sister, her education is totally different from my oldest <laughs> brother, just like yeah. night and day, right? I'm curious though, I want to dig into maybe briefly what motivated and changed things for your mom? She's in the system. She's an instructor. She's a teacher. I feel like that's, um, that's really hard to grapple with that everything I've given my life to so far, I can't really support in this way anymore. Can you speak to that a little bit? I wish I could fully. I'm realizing now I should ask my mom more questions, but I do know that she must have seen my second grade year. I wasn't catching on to some things in the like math I really struggled with. And I remember my teacher, my mom says, again, she was in the school system. So she knew quite a bit about the teachers. She said that that teacher had really wanted to be administration. She had applied to maybe be the principal and she didn't get it. So she was stuck back in like a third grade or second grade classroom and was really unsatisfied and burned out, I think. And so some of that, I don't know, 
might have bled into how she led her classroom, but I just remember her keeping me in at recess and telling me, like, oh. why do you not get this? Like, everyone else in the class gets it, but you don't. Oh, yikes. And she told me things like she thought my outfit was weird one day. But you remember just, this? Yeah, I do. It was pretty hard for me and where it showed up because I don't think I had language at that age to go home and tell my parents I just got sick every morning I was nauseous before school I could barely eat breakfast and we were going the medical route like there must be something wrong and doing all these appointments and treatments and stuff to try to get me feeling well and then over time we figured out it's like it's an emotional response it's her body responding to an emotional experience and so my body told us I just couldn't like voice what I was experiencing I know I went for a lot of like she had me do some testing to see if like maybe I had learning issues or learning disabilities and everything came back average or above average I just I either didn't get the way she was instructing it or there's something else going on in the classroom that prevented me from learning. I'm not really sure. So that informed my mom maybe of like Janet's needs aren't getting met. And I know that there was quite a bit of bullying going on for my middle sister in fifth grade. And so I think that may have informed her too. And then she had seen my sister go through, the oldest go through junior high. And I remember her being very like stuck on, you guys are definitely not going to school in junior high. And when we get to high school, we'll talk about it. But she was for sure. I am homeschooling you through junior high. So I don't know exactly what happened with the oldest, but it wasn't impressive to my mom. (laughs) But I will say in San Antonio, Texas, a big city in the 90s, this was before Columbine. This was was before school shootings became a more regular thing. But my sister was going to schools that she had to have clear backpacks. She had to go through metal detectors to get in. There were police officers. Yeah. And so... I don't know, maybe that informed my mom too. So I I don't know. I I think she was really brave. I consider her a pioneer. No, absolutely. Um, Without a doubt. Yeah. I just find it very helpful and compelling the different reasons why people homeschool. And and I just had this conversation that homeschooling, to me, what it's starting to communicate more than like, we don't go to public school. To me, it communicates someone who has had the courage and the bravery to look at the world as it is and say that will not work for me. I admire any parent that's willing to make a big change like that because it's not working. Well, and it spills into all sorts of aspects. It's not just like public school. It's just challenging norms. It's challenging assumptions. And that to me is homeschooling. So courageous. It is. And I think it's really cool. I think that's why I like homeschoolers because it's just a very quiet courage that I see. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. it's unapplauded. They're unsung heroes. Okay. So you came home and you were doing like the rigorous classroom <laughs> at home for a while and then things <laughs> loosened up. Did you yeah. feel like you were missing public school? Did you want to go back? What was that like? I just remember that very first day of fourth grade, my mom started a tradition of taking us to a, a field trip like some museum or some, some landmark every first day of school, because it was, again, that quiet resistance of everyone else is going to a building today. And we're going to do the opposite of go to a building. Like we're going to do the opposite of everyone else. And it was her quiet, I think maybe resistance to the system that on the first day of school, it's not even going to look like the typical first day of school. (laughs) We're going to go somewhere because everybody's back in school and it's not crowded. So we went, we were driving past the school on that day. And I think all three of us must have had some feelings about it. My sister, my mom and I, and she, we saw all the kids going into the school and she asked, do you guys feel like 
you're missing something or she asked something about like, how do you feel about not going? And I don't think we knew how to feel. I think, I don't remember what I told her, but I remember feeling like we were breaking the rules. Like cool. we were being rebels. Cool. And is this okay? Like, is this, are we really supposed to be doing this? Yeah. You're the bad kids now. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. like playing hooky. Cause I had already <laughs> I been like it. conditioned enough by then to be like, is this okay? Having had four years in the public school system. So so there was a fun element, an exciting, new, like rebellious element at first. I think in our last conversation, you mentioned that as you got older, maybe in your junior high years, you really wanted to go back. How did that kind of impact your relationship with your mom? And how did you work through that? Because I think that's probably a very common experience, especially in those teen years. I think it had everything to do with over time, circumstances shift for our family. So it was fun and exciting in the beginning. And then things changed drastically for us every time we would relocate. And so I only had one year of homeschooling in San Antonio, Texas. And then we moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I had really great years of probably my favorite time ever was my junior high. Well, maybe not ever, but like it it was one of my favorite assignments that we had was living there. And then what shifted dramatically again was right before my eighth grade year, we moved to Montana, Great Falls. So it's summertime and I'm a teenager now. And I had one friend that I had managed to make over the summer who lived across the street from me. And she had been homeschooled up until that point where her parents decided to send her to public school. And so my one friend is going to go to public school. And that was the first time I really felt like I'm being left behind. And that's that whole summer was a really, really rough one for me and my mom, because I really did beg and plead and bargain and try to do everything I could to talk her into letting me go. And she just felt like that wasn't the right fit. She was still committed to getting me through junior high and I was going into eighth grade. I, this is another thing that I should probably ask her more about, but I know my mom well enough to know that she must have felt like she had already located resources that I was going to need because I did end up being okay. I ended up starting athletics and meeting more friends in the neighborhood, even homeschooled friends in the neighborhood and really had a wonderful experience the next two years there. But that summer, I couldn't see that. I think that's really hard. I guess where you are now, and maybe this is an unfair question, but I don't even know the answer. So maybe let's workshop it together. When you have a student, a child who's expressing that desire and that want and that need, and you as the parent have just like more perspective and life experience, and you just know that they don't quite know what they're asking for, what have you seen work? Or what are your, maybe like in a broader sense, like your philosophical thoughts on how to balance the child's needs with your perspective and foresight as a parent? That's a really good question. And it's like with most parenting philosophies, I feel like it just depends. And I'm glad looking back that my mom did that. I think for my own kids, there have been some decisions and moves that we've had to make. We were prior military as well, where they would no longer, like our circumstances shifted and they were no longer going to be in the place that they wanted to be. And I think it's okay to make those decisions for your kids. I think it's actually more than okay. I think it's your responsibility, at least until adolescence. And then they need to at least feel like they're collaborating with you. So I think what it would look like now for me, because I have a 13 year old who's actually at the exact age I was, and he is 
starting to ask what about high school and wanting to go. And so we're still thinking about it. But what I want him to know is that I do hear him. I am taking everything he's telling me into consideration. And ultimately, I will make a decision that I feel like is best for him. But we're going to talk it out. And if it's not what he wants, we're going to compromise on like, how can we figure out like what you need and where we're going to get that though? Like maybe you're not going to go to public school next year, but are you looking for, you know, more social connection? Are you looking for a tighter knit group of friends? What is it that you feel like you need to have if you're having to settle for being homeschooled? And we'll figure that out together and I'll show you what I'm working on so that you know, like I'm going to make sure those needs are met. So I don't know if that answers the question. I, I'm sure maybe there were conversations like that. I don't know. I can't remember them. All I can remember is like begging for what I felt was best. And my mom just being really strong in her stance and really heavily convicted to continue doing what she was doing. But again, I know my mom must have been working behind the scenes on like, <laughs> yeah, I, I got this resource. I've already connected to that group. I've sought out these things that are going to help her get through. Something that you said that I really like is staying in tune with each child's needs. What do you actually need? Because former guest Brie Petty, I reference her all the time. I just loved her episode, but she talked about how her parents and her were constantly collaborating. What do you need this year? How can you yeah. get that for you? And so she always felt like she was very involved in the process. And it sounds like for you, joining athletics satiated that need and it took care of it. And so you didn't actually end up needing to go back. And so what role did athletics play for you in those years while you were homeschooled through high school? Yeah, they were really everything. My high school years, I look back at them as being one of the best times of my life now. And so I was involved with a homeschool athletic league or association in Montana. And then we moved after my freshman year to Denver, Colorado, and I was involved with them there. That's where I experienced a really strong sense of community and friends that were more than maybe just passerby. And that if you join like a league here and there, like a city league, you might play with them for a season and then never see them again. And <laughs> you're just My that experience. kid that, yeah. Yeah, uh -huh. that one that they're yeah. not really sure where you came from. <laughs> right. And then you're gone and they're like, who was that exactly. kid? Yeah, yeah, that's how I felt. I mean, anytime I was in spaces like that, I felt like they would ask me where I went to school because that's how they kind of like put you in your place, classify everyone. And I would say I was homeschooled and then the conversation would just end. There was like nothing else to talk about, I guess, for them. And so anyway, the homeschool community was not, it was the players, of course, and my peers and their parents that were heavily involved. And it was the coaches and it was all the time that we spent together that really bonded us. It's a huge commitment in that you're practicing almost every day throughout the week. You're going to games on the weekend. You might travel to tournaments outside of state. And so I know it must have been an, a really big sacrifice and commitment for my parents, but that's where I made the most meaningful connections. I was involved in co-ops. I was involved in other homeschool, like the symphony and all these other groups, but like I didn't make lifelong or even long-term meaningful relationships through those like I did with the homeschool athletics. So my best friends are from sports back then, and I still see them. We still get together for a little friends reunion, about four of us every summer. We've been there in each other's weddings. We've been there for new babies and funerals. And we're all spread out, but we still make a point to try to connect with each other once a year. 
Really cool. And they're all homeschooling too, by the way. <laughs> no kidding. Okay. We'll have to give them a shout out. Yeah. I, <laughs> sounds like they're your ride or dies. Like they, they are. They definitely are. I love that. I, I love finding those people and then knowing that they're your people and then having the confidence that you know that they see you as also their people. That bond, it's been rare for me, but I've loved it when I found it. I think that's especially pertinent and relevant for homeschoolers. How do we find lasting connection, something that will transcend what school I go to, what college I go to, what state I live in? And honestly, just life in general, finding that is so meaningful. Right. It's not easy. I think one of the things I honestly don't like about being a homeschool parent, (laughs) if I'm perfectly honest, is being the one that I have to work hard for my kids because I'm meeting all their needs. I'm their educator. I'm not just like parenting them at home and making sure they're well-fed and dressed and all of those things, but I'm I'm their social planner too. And that means I have to go outside my comfort zone quite a bit for them. Interesting. It's a comprehensive experience. Yes. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of responsibility, but I think someone who's willing to assume that and be outside of their comfort zone at times like initiating conversations or going after the people that you want to connect with and initiating get togethers. Or my mom would create, if there wasn't one already where we moved, she would just start a support group or a co-op of some sort. She'd be teaching speech in our living room. She'd be, she was an initiator. She was a resource finder. And I think that type of person that's willing to do that work, even if you don't love it all the time is a good fit for homeschooling. Perfectly said. It's a good fit for homeschooling and you can really make something happen for your family. And and also you can learn that skill. If it's not there yet, lean into discomfort, practice, have awkward conversations. You just have to practice that and then you can lean into it. Exactly. You're teaching your kids some really powerful things by doing it. I learned that through my mom. I learned how to go and find and advocate and reach out for resources and, and research and find information through her efforts. It's impacting generations now, and I really like that. But let's talk about your decision to go to college and then pursue higher education. You have a master's. What was that experience like? Why did you go back to school? I think you were a young mother in your bachelor's. Share what informed that and how that went for you. Yeah, I do have to back up just a bit before I get there because it will make it more, I don't know, humorous, but meaningful that I really wasn't a good student. (laughs) I really (laughs) did I was not easy to homeschool. I wasn't really motivated, like self-motivated to, because you do have to have a bit of that as a homeschooler. You do. Yeah. (laughs) And I just didn't have that. And I didn't really value academics much. I wasn't just motivated there. I remember telling my mom in high school, because I watched my sisters leave and, or go to college. And I remember telling her, I'm like, I don't want to go to a four-year university. I don't want to go to college. I don't like school. And she was having a hard time. She outsourced a lot of things when I was a high schooler. Like my junior and senior year, I think I started taking classes at a community college or going to a co-op for a class, or we were doing as much as we could not sitting together (laughs) because it's a hard (laughs) period of time (laughs) for your mom to be everything. And so it was just best maybe for our relationship that she outsourced as much as she could. And that was good for me too. But I just remember telling her I didn't want to go to school or after I didn't want to go to higher education. And she said, okay, great. Why don't you just, it was just understood in my family that you would. And so she was like, you're going to maybe get a technical degree that you don't have Mm. to go to school for four years. And she got a great idea that I should be a radiology technologist. Since I didn't know what I wanted to be, I thought, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. You get 
paid well, you can get a job pretty much anywhere. So I graduated in Denver and then we moved again. And I just moved with my family at that point. And we went to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and I stayed at home and went to a community college. I was going to get a technical degree. And that's when I just started wondering like whether that was right for me and that I don't really like the medical field. I don't want really want to take pictures of broken bones, some of the things that it entails. And so maybe luckily I didn't get into the program and that really made me pause and say, maybe like, I don't just keep pushing like going to college right now, maybe I would benefit from a break. And so I did, I just worked. And during that time, also, I got married after receiving my associates, took a year or two to just think about what I wanted to do with my life. And everything still seemed like a good idea. I've just always been that person that someone would come up with something. I'd be like, yeah, that sounds good. Like I've always wanted to try everything. But the thing that really made me pause was I was thinking what would be meaningful to me. I really, I just know myself well enough that it has to feel like it's a value and it has to feel like it's meaningful for me to want to do it. And the only thing I could really think of was social work and only because my mom really valued volunteerism. And one of the things that homeschooling awarded us was the time to do that. And so she would have us help people with disabilities ride horses. She'd have us tutor oh, deaf cool. and blind students. Cool. She'd have us cleaning the home of a lady who was disabled and all those things. And when I looked back, I'm like, that seems like meaningful, valuable work. Like I could see maybe myself doing something in that human resources field. I went back to school and while I was working towards my bachelor's, I had my first child. And so he was about 10 months when I graduated and felt really, really proud of myself for as a new mom and a wife completing that degree. And about a year later, I applied for graduate school and went back again. So it's kind of funny in that I was the one that didn't like school. I wasn't really motivated. I ended up going for a long time. Once I found what was meaningful to me, once I found like the vision. Yes. I cannot emphasize more that I just feel like if we let people explore and once they find the thing that makes sense, that communicates to them as people and that connects with them, you actually don't have to force the schooling. It's over. There's such an, an intrinsic drive to learn and develop and sharpen your skills that all you have to do is find it. That's the real like struggles. I I need to keep looking till I find the thing. And once it's there, like the work is negligible. It doesn't matter anymore. I completely agree. I owe her a lot of credit for that because again, it was one of those things that at the time as a child, I probably didn't value what we were doing as much. I maybe didn't want to go at times. And so you're sowing these seeds in your kids that you might not see grow and achieve what you want it to until a long term later. And so you have to have that long term vision of, I just want them to at least have been exposed to these things. So they have some sort of blueprint for them, or it won't be like the first time they come across someone with a disability or reaching outside themselves with their free time, even and serving others. Like, I just want them to think about those things when they're older. And so she probably didn't necessarily know I was going to go into that kind of work, but it had value and it really did come to fruition. So thanks mom. (laughs) There we go. Yeah. Thanks mom. And honestly, I say that for my mom as well. It's just, I think one of the scariest things about homeschooling is it takes a lifetime to see if it works and you don't get to go back. You can try and correct and apologize or fix or whatever, but you don't get like times linear. 
and it's a life. It's like a real life that is being impacted. And so I think that's also kind of like the purpose of the show is to demonstrate that if you're not sure what it looks like on the other side, you have Janet, you have myself, and you have all these other voices saying we're on the other side and we're okay. And it will be fine. Totally. I hear you. I agree too. I guess I'm very passionate about that aspect of things. Okay, let's kind of transition here a little bit. So when you got to college, were there any specific gaps that you recognized that maybe came from homeschooling that you had to identify and close? Yeah. And I don't think that they were necessarily educational gaps because I don't know. I My experience is that you can make up for those pretty quick. I think everyone has just to normalize that a little bit is everyone has some gaps in their education. Mm. That's not unique to homeschoolers. Mm. I mean, everyone has strengths and everyone has areas that they're not as good at or they didn't get as good of instruction or whatever it may be. So I feel like we almost need to normalize like gaps in education. You're not going to be firing on all cylinders of education at all times. And so I think I could make up for those pretty quickly. And this day and age, you can find information so quickly and teach yourself anything in a pretty small period of time or find someone who knows how to do it. And you can make up for that pretty fast. It's it wasn't that it was actually the, I didn't have skills very, I didn't have strong skills in time management and I did not have strong skills in just studying. I didn't have study skills. I didn't do a lot of those things. Our homeschooling got loose as we went on and that there wasn't like a lot of expectations or maybe there wasn't, I just didn't meet them, but for like <laughs> getting up at a certain time or getting started at a certain time or getting things handed in at a certain time. I just wasn't used to working in that kind of approach. I still to this day struggle a little bit with time management. And so then the study skills, I hadn't really studied a lot for, I didn't need to study a lot for tests or, or prepare like presentations or things like that. And so I found myself like just putting it off because that's one of the ways that we deal with overwhelm is just freeze and not do anything. <laughs> so relatable. <laughs> yeah. Until the pressure's on. So right. I would procrastinate and then pull like an all nighter before it. The panic. And yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and that can be a toxic cycle of like, yeah. I can only do things when I feel panic. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the other things I don't know, it's one of those nature and nurture things. I don't know if it would have been the same regardless, but I really got nervous. Like I would not ask a question in front of a class. I would not be the one to raise my hand and say something, even if I had a question, because it was just too intimidating to speak in front of the whole class or admit that I didn't know something. And then presentations were terrifying for me. And maybe I would have been that way anyway. I don't know. But public speaking and being in front of a class in college, that was that was rough. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you really felt those for a while. Yeah. 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 And how was yeah, I'm it? I'm still working through those. So yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Like some of these things are lifelong things and you just continually yeah. sharpen them. But despite them, you managed and you got through it and yeah. you have the degrees to show for it. Yeah. I just stumbled through it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I dare say, like you said, it's not unique to homeschooling per se, mm -hmm. because I have peers specifically in my master's, I can think of them. They still grappled with very similar things like time management and presenting, presenting in front of a technical audience. You got to know your stuff and people will know if you're making things up. And so just that aspect, I think even for some of my peers took them to like grow into. That's very true. So maybe all of them, I wouldn't know. Because there's so many things that you're not going to know how it would have been if it had been different. 
Well, I guess as kind of our closing piece, what advice would you give to new homeschooling families? A lot of the listeners are curious and are not homeschooling or have just barely started. And I think you understand some of their fears and trepidations. What would you say to them? Yeah, I think I've touched on a couple of them, but I'll just list out a few and then you can ask me anything you want about if you want to know more about them. But I think I'd say to not be afraid to change things up if they're not working. Sometimes as the homeschooling parent, we have a vision for how this is going to go. And then after a time, you're like, it's everyone's dreading this. Like, it's just not working. (laughs) And if I'm not excited about it, my kids definitely aren't going to be. But also, if I have this expectation that it's going to be this beautiful experience and it's not, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment. So just be willing to be flexible. And sometimes even mid-year, sometimes you have to change up, go back to the drawing board, figure it out or take a pause. And to be ready to be pushed outside your comfort zone. Your kids are literally depending on you to do that. And so you have to push into some of those things that you wouldn't normally want to do for their sake. I would say to start small with your expectations of what it's going to look like at home with education. Do a lot of field trips, do a lot of fun learning experiences and add the like book work slowly to that. Even at the beginning of a school year, I tend to do that with the kids where I'm like not going to hit it all the first day of school. (laughs) And so I don't remember a lot of those things I probably learned back then, but I do remember the field trips. I do remember my mom really valued the arts. So we went to museums, we went to the symphony, we saw ballet, we We went everywhere and because we moved so much, everything was a learning experience, which I used to drag my feet. Like, why are we stopping at another historical site? (laughs) But I remember those things. I probably don't remember all the facts from the book. And then also being willing to outsource things and to parent beyond your capacity. I know that we need to tell ourselves for motivation's sake sometimes that we can be everything our kids need. But I would challenge that and say, no one can replace you. You're the most important person in your child's life, but you actually can't be every single thing that they need. You are going to have to look for resources beyond yourself to meet some of their needs. And there might be a point like there was for me where it would be best for my mom's and my relationship to stay intact than for her to take this responsibility and teach me this thing. So she would outsource it. She would employ the help of my basketball coach, because I cared about basketball. And I'm embarrassed to say it, but sometimes she would tell him, Janice's not doing her schoolwork. And he would tell me, you can't play until you can't play in the game or whatever until you do your schoolwork. So she needed those people beyond herself to keep me on track. And so parent beyond your capacity, I would say that too. And then my litmus test, you can take it or leave it, is... If it's not working, the one of the ways I know it's not working for my child, whatever I'm doing, is I'm sacrificing my relationship with my child to do this thing. So for last year, my daughter was really struggling with reading. She has some learning issues. And I knew that her receiving that instruction for me was starting to really affect our relationship. So I hired a tutor for her, someone that I trusted. So that's what it looks like for me. That's my litmus test where I'm personally, am not willing to sacrifice my relationship with my child to push like an agenda that I feel like needs to be pushed. I I just threw a lot at you. Well, I'm just taking it in. I'm so glad you're on the show because the, there were so many nuggets in what you said. And I suppose my key reflection I have on all that is, A, I remember my mom changing curriculums. 
I, I distinctly yeah. remember I was like, well, we were not doing this last year, but it was okay. Yeah. Because what it communicated to me, if you are learning and growing and pushing through discomfort and trying, challenging yourself, at the end of the day, those qualities in a person that will carry your kid through. The curriculums will come and go. They really will. And you'll find the philosophy that works for you. But watching my mom consistently acknowledge that she didn't quite know what she was doing. And so she was learning as much as she could. And when she learned something she loved, she'd try and apply it. Those qualities are so much stronger than any curriculum we ever did. And oh, so yeah. I just feel like, yeah, if you learn something new, and you realize that this might be better than what you're doing, that is the essence of homeschooling. That's the essence of just like being alive. You learn things and you adjust. Yeah, you're teaching them how to problem solve by you problem solving. You're teaching them how to like, not just get stuck in a rut, but change things up if they need to by you doing that instead of feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure because I couldn't I couldn't get through this book or this curriculum with my child or like they promised that it was going to work. And (laughs) maybe it's me. Uh (laughs) Yeah. And so that resilience I think is a lot more powerful than my mom would always, I grew up like semi-rural and we had a lot Mm -hmm. of farm animals and she would always refer back to watching the kittens behave like mom, like the mama cat. And if mama cat was hunting, then they were hunting. So she just, I think she learned from that natural aspect of if I keep trying then when my kids are older, they will also keep trying. And that's what she wanted in the end. Yeah. I love that. You're really, you're learning or you're teaching them how to learn. Yeah. You're all and being homeschooled together. Yeah. All of you. Definitely. <laughs> so, yeah. You yeah. are. And every year, my husband and I go back to the drawing board of what does each kid need and how do we find those resources? We have tried a lot of things. This year, we're in kind of a, a hybrid situation where I homeschool them in the morning. Then they go to afternoon classes at a small private school that nice. offers blocks. And so nice. they take math and science there. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically so, what we did. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I was very, my mom outsourced STEM heavily. <laughs> She's like, go learn the upper math from someone else. So my mom's brilliant and she can do algebra. But once we hit calculus, she was like, I've never taken calculus, go somewhere else. I realized that my, my teen was starting to feel like he was figuring too much out on his own. And even though he could do it, there was always this sense of like, I'm not going to get help. Like it's me or nobody. Because he would try to ask me and I really would have to reteach myself. It took me some time to even answer a question. So I think that was discouraging to him. So I was like, now he receiving instruction from someone else and getting that support that he needs. He went from, I, I'm not good at math to like, oh my gosh, I'm actually, I'm good at math. Like I can do this. Yeah. So it'll change his life. It worked well. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about your work real quick before we close up. You're working as a therapist. I cannot speak heavily enough as to therapy. I I shared with you, Janet, and I want listeners to know about two years ago, I myself, I put myself in therapy. I was like, you have, you have things to work through. And so, yeah, I just, it was really great for me. And what's the most interesting thing is I gained so much confidence out of it. I was no longer ashamed of saying I went to therapy. So I was like, if you're embarrassed about going to therapy, then you need therapy. (laughs) um, But let's talk about your work. I'm so glad that you did though. (laughs) I think I told you, I hope it's okay that I can tell that you have done the work. 
and you should be proud of yourself for that. Thank you. Yeah, and I am. I really am. It, it was it was work. Therapy is not easy. And so your group is called Refuge Therapeutic Services. Where can listeners get in touch with you? What's the best way? I think email would be the best way. We do have, so my husband and I are both therapists. We have an Instagram page and a Facebook page. We're not super active on it, but you you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But if you're wanting to get in touch with me directly, I would email me okay. and they can reach me at refuge.janet at gmail.com. Okay, great. I will put a note of that in the show notes. So if any listeners want to get in touch with Janet, I will have her email listed in the show. If they're wanting to be a client, I can only see people in Montana, but even if they just want to reach out for connection or resources, or they have a question, I'd be willing to talk with them. I don't get to see as many homeschoolers or homeschooling parents as I would like to in my practice. So it would be great to connect with that community and just be available to them as someone who I know some of us might have some skepticism of like, if I go and talk to someone, are they going to think I'm crazy because I homeschool my kids? (laughs) Or if I have a bad day, are they going to tell me just put them in school like everybody else. And so there are, there's me. I don't know if there's other homeschool. I haven't met other homeschooled therapists, but I'd be willing to connect. I think it's great. Regardless, if therapy's on your mind, reach out to Janet, or if you just want to connect, I, I'm sure you'd be open to that too. So yeah, I will definitely. link to that. And then I'm really glad we found some time to talk. And I really appreciate your insights. And so we'll have to stay in touch. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Hey listeners, if you enjoy the homeschool dropout, the best way to support the show and increase its value to you and other homeschoolers is to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So head there now and we'll see you next week.